0: Hi,
1: I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to another episode of Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast dedicated to helping you take back control of your mental health and life. In today's episode, I interview clinical neuropsychologist Nawal Mustafa on common cognitive distortions and thinking errors, how to catch these and correct these, the difference between healthy venting and emotional dumping, and the dangers of psychological invalidation. If you enjoy my podcast and want to know how you can help me continue making them possible, please consider subscribing wherever you listen and leaving a five-star review. And please continue sharing this podcast with friends and family and keep sharing about it on social media. I love seeing what you guys have found helpful. Now on to today's episode. Noelle, I'm so excited to interview you. This is going to be great. I love your post. You have such wonderful information and we're going to dive into some hot topics today. So thank you so much for agreeing to do this
0: interview. Thank you so much for having me. It is an honor to be here. Oh, thank you so much.
1: Well, before we start, can you just tell my listeners a little bit about you, something that's not in your bio, what motivates you to do what you do?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I am an immigrant. I immigrated from Pakistan when I was 12 years old with my family. So I experienced that acculturation process. You know, I had a hard time understanding where I belonged or how to identify myself. So I think that's a huge part of who I am. I'm also a PhD student. So I'm doing my doctorate in clinical neuropsychology Mm. and I'm a writer and a mental health advocate. So I really enjoy learning about health and wellness so that's physical and emotional and I try to share what I learn as much as I can. I've been I think I really see that value even though I have so much of a workload I still do this as a passion. And what motivates me to do this is because in my South Asian community it's the resources for mental health are just not there. They really wow. lack and when someone is going through mental health issues, it's really hard for them to access proper support or even understand how they can work on it themselves. So mm-hmm. the power of social media now is that we can actually, you know, transfer all this knowledge that we're learning as professionals to those people who can access it. And that, I think that's what really keeps me motivated to run that Instagram page and just allow everyone to take what they need and understand you know, what will help them and what won't. Oh, I love that.
1: That's, uh, that's really great. And I'm so excited that you're doing your PhD in clinical neuropsychology. That's one of the fields that I did a lot of it, what I've also studied in. And so that's wonderful. And yes, your page is fantastic. You're very generous with your information. And it's wonderful how social media has become a platform that people can be helped. You know, it's wonderful how much yeah. It's really great because as you say, the, the tools for mental health in our current narrative is are kind of scary <laughs> and the approaches. So it's great that there's this alternative option that we have on social media. So thank you for all the great posts that you do. And based on that, I mean, your, your posts really are great. So we're going to talk about some of my, you have so many things that I'd love to talk about, but I've selected a few. And then obviously just you just jump in and add if I leave something out. So the first thing I want to talk about is psychological invalidation. You put up a great post the other day that said, and by the way, for everyone, it'll be in the show notes, but it's um, the, the Brain Coach. And that's the, that's the Instagram page. So if anyone wants to go and see the post I'm looking at now, go to the Brain Coach. Great post that Noelle puts up there. I'm going to read the post psychological invalidation looks like. It could be worse. I'm sure it wasn't that bad. You shouldn't feel that way. Just get over it. Just let go. I know exactly what you're going through. And then you have underneath it the, the counter, what it, how, how it's counterproductive in terms of helping. So should we just take each one and just talk it through? So it could be worse. I'm sure that wasn't that bad. What does that do? What does that kind of statement do to people?
0: Yeah, so psychological invalidation basically is a way where we tend to minimize the experiences of another person. So that's the gist of it, right? So when we say something like, it could be worse for another person, here we're bringing our own subjective biases and judgments of how another person should be internalizing their experience. You know, and Uh yeah, like... There are times where we might have gone through something worse and we think that way, but another person coming up to you and opening up about their experience, we need to have, give them that space to talk about their feelings instead of minimizing them and saying like, hey, it could be worse. Don't, you, you don't, don't feel that worried about it. Like it's fine. You know, mm. we need to open that space up.
1: I love that you need to open up that space, otherwise we invalidate their feeling because we're trying to become an expert on what that person feels. So maybe for you that, as you just so rightly said, you could have gone through an experience that may seem similar, but it's not the same because everyone's experience is different. And so it's very important that we don't just invalidate. And it's amazing how easily those slip off our tongue those statements. You know, I think sometimes people are, the intention is to try and help someone, but the impact is not always that, you know, positive. It's, as you say, it's very invalidated. You actually made a really good statement there. You said these statements minimize and marginalize someone's pain and force a toxic positivity on them. Then one of the others, you shouldn't feel this way, conveys a superiority over someone. That's so interesting.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, the psychological invalidation, you know, there's sometimes where we actually genuinely are trying to help a person, and then there's another way of psychological invalidation where it's a manipulation tactic. So it can almost lead to that gaslighting experience where it's a per- there's a purpose of establishing that control. So you shouldn't feel that way, or you're overreacting, or you know, why- you're being so sensitive. Just all these things are really us trying to put the blame on that person, especially if we are the person who upset them. So Mm -hmm. it usually comes up when we are on the defense and we're saying these things to let the person know, like it wasn't a big deal, or I was just joking, you know, these things are such minimizing statements because you're not having that uncomfortable conversation of how, you made the other person feel and how we can overcome that situation so that's how it minimizes that experience Mm -hmm. and in general that conversation
1: so you you mentioned gaslighting so let's talk a little bit more about gaslighting because it kind of relates to these things as well so it's very common form of psychological invalidation and you mentioned it now can you talk a little bit more about it maybe define it and give a few more examples
0: Yeah. So gaslighting is a power move, right? So it's the purpose is to make the other person think that they are being crazy or paranoid or just Mm. overly sensitive. And it can lead to that person who's experiencing the gaslighting to really doubt themselves and think maybe I'm being crazy or maybe I wasn't supposed to feel the way I felt, you know, these things are these thoughts come up because you are being invalidated and your internal experience is not being acknowledged or validated, right? Mm-hmm. So this actually is a tactic where it just takes the blame off the person who's invalidating them. Mm-hmm. And it can lead to a lot of resentment. So some examples of gaslighting is, are like, you know, what I mentioned, like I was yeah. just joking, you're acting crazy. Mm-hmm. Just get or, out. Of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you sound stupid. You know that, right? Like, you know, this, just these mm-hmm. things that up in conversations especially when we're on the defense and we're really trying to protect our own ego Mm. but i think just allowing ourselves to understand what we're doing or when we're receiving this kind of gaslighting comments when we're on the actual the other end the receiving end yeah yeah when we're recognizing this it's like okay we can allow ourselves to not get into the trap of believing that okay maybe i am crazy we'll just be like i understand that's gaslighting my experience is being minimized and I need to stand up for myself here.
1: Mm. And it's quite common, isn't it? Especially in today's climate. I mean, there's a lot of this happening. Are you seeing that? Are you seeing that across just social media and in your experience as well, clinically as well?
0: I definitely am. I see it a lot in relationships and also with Social media, because we all have a voice now on our platform, Mm. let it be personal accounts or public accounts. We are able to say what we want to say, and our opinions everyone's opinion is subjective and it's come come from the knowledge that we have taken in and put it, you know, put in our brains and Mm. so on. So Gaslighting can really happen when there are disagreements with certain opinions or certain beliefs that people have. And I have seen it a lot, especially recently with these huge movements happening. There yeah. has been a lot of gaslighting going on. And even with, you know, it's a combination sometimes where relationships, people are arguing with their parents about certain beliefs that they hold and the parents are gaslighting the children and Oof. the spouse. Like it's just, it's happening all over the place. And yeah. really good to recognize that it's happening. I think what you said is very, very important. It's very good to recognize
1: it because it's happening. It's not just a certain group of people. It's kind of everyone. As you say, it's happening with parents to their children, children to parents, siblings, friends, people that like each other and don't like each other. It's happening across the board. So it's become a kind of almost a a way of speaking to people. It's it's become too accepted. So I think bringing a shining a light on it and saying, hey, listen, if you're manipulating someone else, if you are making, invalidating the experience, If you're making them feel bad about saying it's stupid or whatever, to stop and just check your own because it's hurtful. I mean, as you said, so clearly just think of when you were on the receiving end, what that felt like.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I mean, there's been times, especially I think I'm so passionate about the topic of gaslighting because it has happened to me. It has happened to me in my relationship. And sometimes it just the other person is doing it unconsciously. It is not always conscious. So Mm. it's really important to have that conversation, like, hey what you said here really minimized what I was trying to tell you. And it made me feel really hurt and really unheard. You know, that conversation, Mm -hmm. if we are really conscious about how we're feeling, then we can communicate it to the other person. You know, that's how we feel. And then we can have that conversation and stop, behavior from happening in the
1: future that's so good because then the person that that it could be as you say in a caring relationship and persons doing it without even realizing they're doing it so to say those things that you made me feel invalid you made me feel hurt to actually express that talk it through makes them aware then they're more careful you know so it's and it works both ways and if someone and if you do say that to someone and they continue to gaslight you well, you have every right then to remove yourself from that you need to protect yourself
0: Exactly. And protecting yourself just means, you know, you can set boundaries around these behaviors. So when they do this, you just have something like, okay, if you say something like this to me next time, I'm just going to pause end this conversation and we'll come back to it because I'm not going to engage in the conversation where you're minimizing my experience. Mm -hmm. Or there's times when the person is, it comes to a point of abuse and you have to really make a decision. Do you really want this person in your life? Or do you want to, Engage with this person a lot. If, if you can avoid this person, will you really? try to do that, you know. Yeah.
1: And they, and we do sometimes have those options. Sometimes you don't, but I'm very glad that you said that because you have this amongst groups of people. And I've also experienced gaslighting. If you don't agree with a certain, you know, it's so tribal, society is so tribal at the moment. And it can be so much, well, you're not my tribal. You don't believe like I believe. And that can happen like a whole group of people can, and it can be very hard for people, but you'll always find at the end of the day, it's so important to be true to yourself and to stand up for what you believe in. And it's hard sometimes, especially if it does mean that you kicked out of a tribe. But at the end of the day, you treat yourself, it's that authenticity that counts more than anything. I would think, I don't know how you feel about that. Absolutely. I think
0: mm-hmm. a great shield against gaslighting is our own self-worth. It's just very so good to have that within us because having low self-worth is part of the problem because We will tend to doubt ourselves when we really don't believe in ourselves. So if someone is Mm. putting something in our mind, we will really question it. But if we know who we are and what we stand for, we will challenge that person's opinion right away. So Mm. having that self-worth is really, really important to protect ourselves against these gaslighting behaviors or any abusive ways of
1: communication oh that's brilliant and so important what you just said my most recent clinical trials is just reminded me of one of the subjects in the in the study actually there wasn't one there were a couple that were talking about that they'd had these experiences and in in amongst a bunch of abusive experiences and it's interesting because we saw at the front of the brain where the frontal the, specifically sort of just above the eyebrows when you have a low self-worth the energy there drops tremendously so the functionality the blood flow everything actually drops because you and and it's amazing until people actually when that shifts, you see an increase in energy there. And it was interesting watching how, as this person realized that their, value in, their self-value changed, we saw the energy change inside the brain. And in, in the shortest three weeks, we saw massive changes. So, I mean, this is real. So you're going to see the impact. You know, your brain, your mind uses your brain. Your brain's a responder. And your mind's literally using your brain. So if you like now feeling terrible, your brain actually will then shift in its downward in its function. So there's a very real physical impact of gaslighting. You know, and then that also sends a message to the whole body and that can cause inflammation in the body. You can actually, because this particular group of subjects had a lot of inflammation, low-grade inflammation. So it's very real. So I'm just saying that to say that gaslighting is not just a word. This is not just a concept for the listeners and the viewers. This is very, very real. And it's, if you're doing it, it's toxic to your brain and your body. And if you're experiencing it, it's toxic. So it's so important that we challenge this issue and deal deal with this issue.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I agree with that. And it's really nice to see that there is a study out there that really allows us to understand how, you know, that stress response comes up, I'm assuming is happening because our body is constantly stressed out or, you know, whatever that is, it's leading to physical symptoms in our body, which is absolutely insane. Yeah.
1: And it's, it's so crazy because as we are, like, let's say someone, as you've just described gaslight you they say any of these things, like it could be worse and I'm sure it wasn't that bad and you shouldn't feel that way and just get over it and just let go. And I know exactly what you're going through. All of that invalidation immediately, like, you know, as you say, they might even get this like gut feel. I don't know if you feel that you sort of get this, oh, I don't want someone to say that to me if I've just told them some major issue that I'm experiencing or something like that. And it actually, as every moment of every day, we're directing our neuroplasticity. We're changing our brain. Our brain's always changing. So if our brain, if we don't direct or control that, we change it in the wrong direction. So immediately our genes change and immediately we have those structural changes. And that's where you get the impact on the body physically and every cell and the inflammation and all that kind of stuff, which is quite scary. So I just remembered, I want to ask you one more thing about, you mentioned about parents and gaslighting. Let's talk about that. Parents aren't intentionally trying to hurt their kids, but they do it. They, they want to take the pain away. They want to fix it. I'm a mother of four. I know. Uh, they'll come to you with things and you just want to say, no, it's got to be fine. You want to say positive statements to overcome the negative statements. And I remember this so often when I was practicing clinically, helping parents to allow their children to vent. So can you talk a little bit about parenting and gaslighting so that parents don't have to feel guilty, but that they can just have the awareness and the insight you're not helping your child and what are the signs? How can they manage? What can they do?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think this hits home because in my community, with my parents, even, they aren't very knowledgeable about how to communicate feelings. You know, we uh-huh. don't talk about feelings mm-hmm. in our household. So, yeah. this is something that I experienced as a child growing up, too, where if, you know, I come up with a problem, if I would communicate it with my parents, which was rare, yeah. it would just come up to, you know, it'll be fine. You're just overstressing. You just stress easily. It's totally, you know, it's. You're oversensitive you're just- or something. Yeah. Exactly. You know, just making assumptions rather than having that space to talk about the issue at hand. And Mm. sometimes when we do this as parents, we might be unconsciously saying all these statements. But if we understand what gaslighting is and what it really does to the person, which we just talked about, then we can be really cautious of saying these statements. And rather than trying to hold on to that need to really protect our child and just make sure that they are feeling better giving them that space to just talk and figure out the situation that they're feeling inside really gives them the opportunity to learn about what they're experiencing and become resilient afterwards. So, Mm -hmm. you know, they understand that I was able to get through it, even though I was, I processed all these emotions and I was still able to move past it rather than just suppress them Mm -hmm. because, you know,
1: yeah. So it's once again, coming back to what we need to do is listen non-judgmentally. It's giving them that safe space where they feel that they can speak without being judged or cut off halfway through a sentence and told through something thrown at them, some kind of positive one of these kind of statements, or even maybe in a religious environment, maybe some sort of religious statement or something like that, which is not, it's it's kind of make almost would put make you feel guilty because you think, oh, I can't do that. I'm, I'm in this space. I don't know how to do that. And you go into your parents for the help of how do I navigate? through this thing and if you get told a blanket statement or one of those invalidating statements those gaslighting statements you've removed a child's ability to get it out they're going to push it down and that's going to cause a lot of damage in the brain and body
0: yeah yeah definitely mm-hmm. I think one thing to really think about is just use open-ended questions when a child with problems it's like so what do you think or what do you really want to do in this situation or how are you feeling you know just give them that room to talk mm-hmm. with and open-ended questions really promote that. Mm -hmm. Rather than it'll be okay. See that there's no way there's no room for a response there or you're just stressing. There's no room for a response again. So really allow them to have the ability to talk about what they're feeling. And if they really are coming to you for advice, ask them, do you, so do you want my advice or do you want to figure out what options you have here? And we can talk about that. And then you have the end decision to choose what you really want to do, you know, that's so good. So So to
1: ask open-ended questions, that's very key. And and in asking the open-ended questions, you allow for them to be able to express themselves. And they're not just giving advice, but asking, do you want some advice? Do you want help? So letting them them come from their angle so that we don't, because if we give advice, we're giving it from our angle. But if you ask someone, do you want, they're going to guide you as to what sort of advice they need. They're going to push you in that direction. You don't just assume. So it takes away the assumptions, the open-ended questions. That's really good advice. This episode is brought to you in part by International Justice Mission. For more than 20 years, International Justice Mission has worked to end slavery and violence around the world and create more just communities where people aren't trafficked or abused in the first place. And an important part of this work is to provide trauma-informed therapy and care to people who have experienced this type of abuse. People like Ruby, who is from the Philippines. Ruby was 15 years old when her parents died. Shortly after, she was offered a job at an internet cafe across the country. But as soon as she arrived, she knew she had been tricked. Instead of working at an internet cafe, Ruby was sexually exploited over webcams to predators around the world. In an IJM undercover operation, Ruby was rescued and brought to safety. But that was only the beginning of her journey to freedom. Four years after her rescue, International Justice Mission supporters have walked with Ruby to make sure she has everything she needs to journey towards healing, especially trauma-focused therapy. Today, Ruby is safe. Because of the healing she received, she was able to start dreaming of her future again. She graduated from college and is considering pursuing a law degree next. Trauma-focused therapy is critical to help survivors move forward and heal. You can make this healing possible by providing an hour of therapy for a child like Ruby. For just $45, you can provide trauma-informed therapy that would change a child's life. Head to ijm.org forward slash and help vulnerable children heal by giving the gift of therapy today. That's ijm.org forward slash The link and more details will be in the show notes. Let's talk about the emotional dumping. I love this post. I love all your posts. I think they're fantastic. Okay, so this is great. You talk about emotional dumping versus healthy venting. And like you say, things like blame, uh, emotional dumping would be something like blaming others. That is because you did X, I did Y. Whereas healthy venting doesn't blame others. So should we take it one by one and we can talk through each one because they're powerful. So the whole blaming thing.
0: Yeah, so imagine having a conversation with, you know, someone who has hurt you, it takes two people to really turn something into an argument. That's something that just happens because someone may be mistreating us or someone may be saying something that triggered us and we react. So if we are bringing the conversation back and having and talking about it, saying, hey, so you started this, that's why I ended up mistreating you, really just puts all the blame on the first person rather than that. Opening up the conversation like, hey, I want to take accountability for reacting the way I did. I should have paused or I should have done something different, you know, not mistreated you back, but I was really hurt by what happened there. Um, You know, just talking about it in a way to take that accountability first rather than just put the entire blame on the person. And then this conversation will have room and the other person won't get defensive right away. That's why it's important to not blame the person right away in a conversation. Mm -hmm. It's that
1: blaming, it's that kind of pointing the finger you did. The minute you do that to someone, it's immediately making them on the defensive. Immediately people feel they have to self-protect and then they can't really hear what's being said. And then just all the emotions then block, all the negative emotions then block the ability to communicate. So just by... Taking saying what you saying exactly how you did that it's fantastic. So not blaming others but actually looking at oneself, explaining how you feel. Once again, all the way through the message that you that is coming through very strongly is it's authenticity. To be authentic to yourself, to be honest, to be open, to tell people how you are feeling, to be vulnerable. Instead of because instead of that reaction of of argue, defend, justify, it's all about okay, did I misunderstand you? This has hurt me. The honesty, the vulnerability.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the main point of all of this. So we'll go through the examples. But basically, what I tend to tell my clients too is when you are trying to approach a situation, use I statements. So if you are even mad at someone, if you're resentful and you're trying to communicate, instead of saying, you did this or you made me feel or just anything, try to just switch that conversation and turn it into an I statement. So very good. I felt hurt because of what happened that is very different than you made me feel
1: Oof, or you were- that's huge that's huge just saying i feel hurt because you said versus you made me feel such a difference the one is just going to lead to an explosion and negativity the other one's going to open the door and create the space for an authentic discussion exactly Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Okay. Let's take the next one. Emotional dumping overwhelms the other person with multiple issues versus healthy venting sticks to one topic does not bring up past issues. I really like that one.
0: Yeah, definitely. So that one is something that happens a lot because when we are emotionally charged, when we, there's a lot of emotions in our brain, just circulating, it's just our, our mind starts to race. Yes. We think about so many different things that have happened in the past and, we want to do everything to try to make the other person feel that they were in the wrong. But it just does not, does not solve the problem when we are bringing up past issues that have already been resolved.
1: Mm. Yes,
0: if there's a pattern that keeps coming up, it might be helpful to talk about you know certain things. But even then, sticking to one topic really allows us to work through that one thing. If we bring up multiple things, we really lose track of what the whole purpose of this conversation is. So it's just really important to stick to one topic and not bring the past conversations in it and overwhelm yourself and the other person.
1: Because mm, then you don't know what you argue about in the end and you don't know what you're dealing with and you can't solve it because there's just too many things. So if there are multiple things, deal with the most relevant one. And if other things do come up, set another time perhaps for that, because you also don't want to overwhelm in that situation. You know, it's 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 not, not to have too long. I think this is a mistake that we all make. It's something that I used to tell my clients when I practice as well, is that don't spend hours on toxic stuff. It's, you know, it's self De- detoxing yourself, but also in, in a discussion, don't leave it alone. You need to push, you mustn't go to bed angry and that kind of stuff. I think that's really important. And my husband and I, for example, we will never go to bed until we've solved an issue. But we try to stick, the mistakes we've made is to do multiple things at once. So rather fix one, get that solved, and then set a time, perhaps, even if it's in an hour, when you kind of calm down a little bit and then you can deal with the next issue. Otherwise, as you say, it's just like so much, it's so overwhelming. And then everything's intertwined.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think so when things, especially, you know, when we have a conversation, a very difficult argument, because there's a lot of things that just start piling up. And then yes. there's that breaking point. We want to bring all those things up in that conversation. Exactly. But what is the most significant? So what really helps me is I write down what I've been upset about in my notes or somewhere. Great. And then I think about, okay, which one, what is something that I really want to talk about now? And just focus on that. And then at the end of that conversation, i am be like, hey, like I still have a couple of things I want to talk about, but I think this was really nice. Like we talked about this and we resolved it and I'm really happy about it. But I do want to let you know that I'm going to bring up a couple of other things just to give them like Yeah,
1: it's preparation, a heads up. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I think yeah, that's great. Really
0: helpful to do that to do it that way. Just chunk that's, it up.
1: Exactly. And another thing that I found very helpful when you chunk it up is also to say to people things like, I could be wrong, but did you mean this? You know, so it's, it just gives them a chance to, because so often we can misread some people just not very good at expressing themselves and they can say things in a, in a way, and it comes across in a terrible way, but they actually, and you say, this is how I perceived it. And they say, but that's not even remotely what I meant. So it's to, and that can lead to a lot of arguments. So to say, this is how it came across. Is this what you mean? Am I understanding you correctly? And that can really diffuse the situation as well, quite nicely.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's, that's very helpful because I think that allows the other person to share their perspective. Yes. Important.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Then you bring authenticity on both sides of the conversation. You have it weighted equally, which is so important. I think any conversation you don't want it to be weighted one way, because then it leads to the gaslighting type thing. And you want to have it nice and even keel. Otherwise, it starts tipping. You know, the seesaw, whatever, whatever analogy, the scales, whatever. Okay. So next thing plays the victim. This is really a good one. So emotional dumping would be playing the victim, and healthy venting would be using I statements. I feel disrespected. So yeah, it comes in with your eyes. I assume these are parallel these do they kind yeah. of yeah okay yeah
0: so i do think most of them are
1: kind of works that way so it plays a victim so talk around that the playing the victim and how you can overcome that
0: so say so again going back to the you versus i statement saying something like you made me feel this way really takes that accountability away from you so you're playing the victim in this case because yes Emotions come up, but the way we react is ultimately on us. Mm -hmm. You know, we can process our emotions in very different ways. Feelings don't actually mean that we have to act on them. They come up, we can pause, we can self-reflect and just allow ourselves to understand what's happening before reacting. So if, if the case was that we reacted in a way that was very disrespectful or it was, you know, it minimized that person's experience, whatever we did instead of saying you made me react this way or you made me do this behavior that was very disrespectful towards you because of how you acted, it just turns into this blame game and you're the Mm -hmm. victim in that situation, Mm -hmm. regardless of what you've done. Mm -hmm. It's not okay for us to not take accountability when we are in the wrong too, even if it was the aftermath of what had happened. That's so good. It's better to use those I statements.
1: Very, very useful to say the I statements, because as soon as you start saying, you made me feel, or no, no, that's, you can't, you can't tell people how you feel. If you start saying, you made me do this, it's your, it's your fault that I'm reacting like this. Because it never can be, because you can't be in that other person's head and react for them. So if a person does react, you're not responsible for their reaction. You are, we're all responsible for our own reactions.
0: Exactly. Yeah, yes. that is absolutely
1: true. Yeah. So we've got to take responsibility. And it doesn't mean that that, that you justify That person could have really been mean, but you're still responsible for your reaction to that meanness.
0: Yeah. I, and I think if you show that vulnerability, if you show that accountability, like, hey, I also was in the wrong year, that person is going to take accountability too, because it opens that space for them rather than them Like, okay, so she's owning up to her problem, or he's, you know, really taking responsibility here for something that they did after the fact. But yeah, so I think it's really important to do that and allow that space for the other person to open up to because that just creates that room, that friendly environment to. So good. It's balance. It's all about coherence
1: and balance. You know, it's like you in the brain, the brain naturally is designed for coherence and balance. So you want all the energy. You see that. So when someone is out of sync in their mind, you see that lack of coherence in the brain. So what you've described there is bringing balance. It's, it's once again the seesaw or the, pen, the pendulum or not the, the scales weighted evenly. As soon as they unweight, uneven, for so these the emotional dumping kind of causes an unevenness in the scales, whereas the healthy venting does the opposite. I love this one. Not open to finding a solution is emotional dumping. So emotional dumping, just like you're just dumping, but not open to finding a solution. And then you say works on a solution together. I mean, it's obvious, but I think it's worth discussing.
0: So I think we've all been in these conversations where we're so on the defense, where we are just trying to prove the other person wrong and what they've done is just not okay, rather than Really looking into, okay, why am I having this conversation? What do I really want out of it? And at the end, it's usually because we usually don't have uncomfortable conversations with people that we don't really care about. We sometimes just let things go and we just maybe cut them out of our lives or, you know, but if someone is we genuinely care about, we value the relationship and there's conflict, sitting in that conflict is so hard and we just want it resolved. Yes. But when we bring up the conversation, sometimes we're just trying to prove the other person wrong. Instead of really saying, okay, what do I really want from this conversation? And it it boils down to, I want to get back to normal. I want to be able to talk to them properly. I want to be able to sit with them and, you know, watch a show together again and just resolve this conversation that's important, but move past it. And the only way we can move past it is be like, okay, what, so what is really happening here? And how can we make sure that this kind of behavior or this kind of thing does not happen again? That's the end Solution, and maybe both of us have to work on it together to make sure that we are not repeating these patterns over and over.
1: Okay, this is so important what you just said. That's brilliant because it's repeating those patterns over and over. And that can so often happen in a relationship where people, you you find, yourself. why are we here again? Why are we arguing about the same thing again? Why are we having this discussion again? That means that you haven't been solution focused. That means that every time it's come up, it's ended up being kind of sort of resolved, but not really resolved. The resolving was kind of brushed under the carpet or ostrich in the sand mentality. So solution finding is hard work. It's kind of traumatic maybe, but means that you're going to have to face some things in yourself. and the other person as well that's maybe not nice it's uncomfortable it's not comfortable but then it should it it should produce a result which means if it does happen again you can catch it quickly say oh this happened before we now have a solution and you can start practicing your solution so it doesn't mean it'll go away from one discussion because it does take practice to to get a new pattern in place especially if you've been married for years or you've it's a sibling that you're living with or some friend that you've been friends with for years or something, it is going to take time to change that. And I think that's what people need to realize is don't brush it under the carpet, find that solution. It's hard. And then practice the solution and practice. Don't just give up, just keep practicing and remind maybe even write it down or something. I don't know, you know, put it, write it down. So you've actually can remember. Hey, we had this argument. Let's go check in our book there. We had it like six times now. That was our solution. No more, you know, something, something like that, which is constructive could also be helpful.
0: Yeah, I, I really find the writing down helpful. I actually do that. Yeah. And in my relationship, my partner was like, what are you doing? Why do you, why are you bringing, why are you like recording these things? <laughs> like, you know, solutions for, okay, if this happens, what do we do here? But like, it's so important because it brings it into a conscious awareness for Absolutely. when the time something is happening because our emotions are so high during a conversation, which is an argument that it just can, we forget about the solutions we came up with. We forget about just, yeah. So I think it's really important to really repeat or bring that up every time that that pattern is being repeated. So ultimately it gets minimized slowly and slowly and with time. It yeah. might just go away completely.
1: Yeah, and you can, that's right. You can automatize. It takes 63 days to form a habit, not 21. So it's going to take, you know, that amount of time. It's going to take about nine weeks to change a bad habit in a relationship. And a lot of people aren't really... Committed to that, you know, or they just don't get their head around the fact that it takes time, and it's easier just to blame someone else. And that's why I wanted to have this discussion because people need to. And you said something so important about how emotions can come up and how you can forget. So that's why it's so great to have written down. And I always use this analogy of of a tree for thoughts because that's what they look like in the brain. And you know, when you think of a thought, that thought could be if it's and that's a healthy thought. This is a toxic thought. I don't know if you've seen me use these before, but it's just so to under to just sort of really undergird what you've just said is like if that's the toxic relationship issue and it keeps coming up if you just keep you know putting it stuffing it down it's still there you haven't dealt it's real it's in your brain it's a structural change and what's interesting about a thought is that as you can see there's all the branches each branches of is is representing a memory. So the thought is made up of memories, like a tree is made up of branches. The thought is made up of memory. So memories are the branches and the leaves are the emotions. So you've got information emotions, which is the detail of the, of the conflict. And then the emotions are the leaves that went along with that information. So emotional memories and informational memories. So like you said, when they come up, that both both of those come back. And if it's toxic, this is healthy. So it's normally just, it's, it's constructive. This is destructive. There's all the thoughts, there's all the emotions. And if they haven't been dealt with, as soon as they're in conscious awareness, they can be weakened and changed. But if they go back into the non-conscious, they get stronger. So when they come up, it's very important that we go back and find what was our solution and remind us of eventually this gets weak and weaker and it gets, it literally melts in the brain. All the energy is transferred from there to there. And then you can remember how you were, but that takes time. And that's something that people need to really, you know, put in the effort. Because I think if they, they blame, we've done this, we talk, it's your fault. It's, meanwhile... Don't blame. It means you haven't spent long enough working towards the solution. Okay. Defensive to constructive feedback. Okay. Emotional dumping. Defensive to constructive feedback and does not own up to mistakes. And then healthy venting owns up to mistakes, open to constructive feedback. So do you want to talk about that? I love that.
0: Yeah. So this is something again, similar to the taking accountability. So There's one thing where we ourselves decide, okay, this is something that I didn't do. You know, I disrespected here. I wasn't okay in my behavior here. But then when the other person, how their experience was in that situation, and they say, hey, like, this happened, and you did this in this situation that made me feel this way, we might not take that very well sometimes, because it can lead us to become defensive and just trying to... Justify our behavior rather than, you know, opening up and saying, okay, I do understand that that was not okay, and, you know, I'm going to work on it. That takes courage and it's hard to do. So a lot of times we just become defensive to constructive criticism, or we just tend to not own up to our mistakes, which is so important to allow that room for that healthy conversation and that solution to occur at the end.
1: Mm, that's so good I think also the delivery of the constructive conversation so important now always talk about delivery think of a gift it should be whatever you're saying should be like a gift that's all wrapped up beautifully so if it comes across in an ugly way like it's thrown at the person it may be the most amazing words and the most amazing advice that will really help you but it's delivered so badly that you don't get it so I think it's so important that delivery that you're giving constructive criticism to make sure we check ourselves that we're delivering it in a nice way I don't know how you feel about that
0: yeah absolutely I think that's so important the delivery is where the magic is yes (laughs) it's really really so important because the way we might have a thought we might think of something and when we're trying to say it it just turns into a very blame kind of situation where we're telling the person you like using you statements Mm, that's right really messes up the delivery. Yeah, totally. It's harder to talk about. I felt this way because of, you know, it's harder to do do this. But once we learn how valuable it is, it can Mm -hmm. really change the dynamic of the conversation. And allow us to get to the po- the resolution rather than having this long conversation that just feels toxic at the end.
1: Yeah, and you just feel worse off for for it. So it doesn't. It doesn't. So in other words, I love what you say there. That the the delivery is the in the ma The magic's in the delivery. And, you know, so it's very much, I think this may be, be an option or may, so it's very much, and it's it's got to be gentle and watch the body. 50% of communication is body language. And sometimes people don't realize they're doing this and it's people already responding negatively. And, and you know, you're speaking from a toxic thought. Ansan spoke about this, the photons will be always generating energy. So if you, if you are... Delivering something in an aggressive way, even if it's really good words, people feel that like a little BB gun, you know, the paintball guns. It's not, it it feels that you can kind of feel that. So it's so important that we are careful of our delivery. I think if people were just like politicians and everything on every level, we need to be more aware of our delivery. Okay, does not, next one, emotional dumping, does not respect or listen to the other person's perspective versus healthy venting, listens and acknowledges the other person's perspective.
0: So this is something that I think. I even had a hard time understanding for a long time. This is where the understanding of our perspective might not be, or our understanding of the situation might not be the same as how the other person understood it. And a lot of arguments do happen because of misunderstandings mm-hmm. of how, you know, one person was behaving towards the other and so on and so forth. So it's really important to provide that space and allow that person to, you know, talk about how they thought of the situation. So kind of like what you mentioned initially, you know, where it's like, so this is what happened. Tell me if that's what you meant or, you know, yeah. just that room to explain themselves.
1: Yeah. I love that. And perspective is such a uniquely personal thing you know and it's so important that we find that so that's a really really good one and it's it's really is getting as empathy too because you really have to shift your view and put on someone else's view like take their sunglasses and look through their eyes kind of thing and it's not that easy to do especially if you worked up so it's to get yourself calm too repeats this uh, emotional dumping repeats the same issue over and over says the same thing over and over very very tiring healthy venting does not go in circles that's a really good
0: one so this is where Someone is explaining themselves, they blame the other person, the other person tries to explain themselves, and then it just goes in circles because no one is satisfied with what is going on. So they just keep bringing up the issue at hand over and over again, and it just turns into a very exhausting conversation rather than something that can be resolved. So I think there needs to be personal boundaries here where if you bring up an issue and it is being repeated again. If you're doing it or the other person is doing it, just bring up like, hey, we already mentioned that. Let's let's focus on this resolution part of it. Now we understand what's going on. We've talked about our experiences and how the misunderstanding was or, you know, how our feelings, how we felt. But now let's let's focus on the solution. And the important thing is that these conversations cannot happen When you are still emotionally worked up, when you are still angry Mm. or resentful, Mm. well, you can be resentful, but not like not have those physical symptoms, Mm -hmm. not feeling like you are not able to think clearly. Yeah. So, yeah, that's important when you have these kind of conversations. Otherwise, you will go in circles.
1: That's so good. So, you you don't want to be so worked up that you can't think clearly, and you want to say, we've just gently delivery again we've discussed that let's move towards the resolution and if the person doesn't want to and they're getting hit up it's best to remove yourself and when everything's calmer come back and readdress the issue then inconsiderate of time is emotional dumping healthy venting does not take up unnecessary time
0: so this is where you know sometimes we have a conversation and people have things to do we have work we have other things in our day and because we might value the relationship a lot and it's still, we're still upset about what's going on. Sometimes we, when we come up to talk about the situation, it just turns into hours of going back and forth, just a conversation that could have been exhausting. Yeah. It can be exhausting and it can lead to resentment after, because we could be like, Because of this conversation, I wasn't able to do X, Y, and Z today. Mm. So it's really important to be considerate of the other person's time and really value, hey, I know you've you've got an exam tomorrow. Let's not talk about this today. Just be considerate of what the other person is doing that day. And when we have the conversation, if we're not repeating things over and over or bringing up the past, I can really reduce that time to what we need to focus on and move past it. Love it. Fantastic. And then the last one here feels toxic
1: is the emotional dumping feels beneficial the healthy venting fairly obvious, but you want to just say a quick word about that.
0: Yeah. I think ultimately if we are emotionally dumping on someone and we're going into these long conversations without a resolution, it's going to feel toxic because yeah. we still don't feel at peace at the end. We don't mm-hmm. feel like, you know, there's that feeling that, okay, this is probably going to happen again and we'll have to deal with it again. And usually when the pattern keeps happening our response is just to shut down we just like okay whatever like no conversation there's no room Mm -hmm. for conversation we just withdraw and it it, that turns into that pattern that leads to so much resentment so it is toxic Mm -hmm. if we are not able to engage in a conversation in a healthy way where we're both understanding each other's experience and not blaming each other taking accountability and just focusing on that one problem rather than multiple at the same time mm-hmm. that's so good that's so important that you don't just shut down
1: and then it keeps happening and it gets worse and worse and worse and worse it's issues if you're in a relationship with someone you got to sort out your issues otherwise it is just going to extend the time and make it worse that's amazing okay so the next one i want to discuss is cognitive distortions another very important area I and mean, we talk about cognitive distortions like personalization or blame should statements emotional reasoning magnification or catastrophizing and fortune telling So let's talk about, first of all, if you can define cognitive distortions, and then we can talk about each of the different types.
0: So cognitive distortions are basically irrational or inflated thoughts that negatively distort our perception of reality. So these are maladaptive thoughts, and they can turn into patterns based on our own beliefs that we hold for ourselves. And they can be really difficult to identify if we're not aware of them. That's why it's important to teach about cognitive distortions and yeah. learn about them. So when they come up, we can call I ourselves them. Yeah. yeah.
1: With all that's going on, a lot of us are feeling anxious or stressed or depressed. And I know it can be hard finding a doctor to talk to, especially now. That's why I recommend Plush Care. Plush Care knows your mental health is just as important as your physical health. Their primary care physicians are here for you seven days a week to help you start feeling better as soon as possible. In addition to being primary care physicians who handle ongoing and urgent care, they also treat a wide range of common mental health issues like anxiety, depression, stress or even trouble sleeping. So if you're feeling down, worried or not like yourself, you can book a same day appointment and see a Plush Care doctor right from the comfort of your home using your phone or computer. They'll discuss treatment options with you and have your prescription sent to a local pharmacy as needed. Plushcare accepts most major insurance carriers and is available in all 50 states. Plush Care makes it easier than ever to take care of yourself inside and out. Start your membership today. Go to plushcare.com slash Dr Leaf to start your free 30-day trial. That's p l u slash Dr Leaf for a free 30-day trial. Plushcare.com slash Dr Leaf. The link and offer details will also be in the show notes. Okay, so let's talk about the, the first one you have here, personalization or blame, and you define it. So if you want to just explain what that is. So personalization or blame
0: yeah so personalization is something where we tend to really personalize things just it's it is how it says, so we, for example, something that happens, we internalize the experience and really take that into something that we identify ourselves with. So it's really important to not so let let's me give me give an example of personalization. You know, okay, so we have expectations of ourselves, for example, Mm -hmm. and they're unrealistic. So when we tend to not meet those expectations, we personalize it into a way where we just start to believe that we are inadequate or just not good enough. And that's us personalizing the experience and really internalizing it Mm
1: -hmm. based
0: on that one experience. So So it's almost related to shame. Yeah. So we start to shame ourselves. Because of that. And it's really important for us to understand that that is not a way of thinking that is rational because it's just one single experience. So, really internalizing it does not make it into something that is beneficial for us in the long run.
1: So to keep the separation between I did that versus that's who I am. So that's the shame versus the guilt behavior kind of distinction. And that can happen when you're personalizing it. So you holding your, like you gave a great definition, holding yourself personally responsible or blame others for something that is not entirely under your or their control. So you can also do it to someone else. So it can be yourself and it could be someone else blaming someone else for something that they didn't do or shaming someone else for something that they didn't actually do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think I have an example in there for personalization.
1: I think yes. If you assume you're a bad mother and your child gets when I mean, your child gets into trouble at school, so your child gets into trouble and then you take you personalize that and you make out that you the, the the guilty. It's your fault as a mother because that's your child and you should have known that that child's going to be perfect.
0: <laughs> yeah, again, that that's an unrealistic expectation that mothers have that they have to. Make sure that their child is this perfect human being who's taken care of and they can't, you know, you know, we just want to protect them all the time. And when something that our child does, we can we might blame ourselves for it. And that's personalization, because that's the behavior of another person causing us to really put ourselves down.
1: And that could lead to a very negative kind of reaction as well, because then you, because of that, you then get angry with the child and shame the child. So the child could land up feeling shame that they're a bad person when they're still trying to learn their way through it. So it could, your distortion as a parent will then create a distorted response to the child who then has a distorted response. And you could set up a very negative feedback cycle. So it's very important to recognize that. And as you say, call yourself out on it. Okay, uh, should statements, the should have, could have, would have, all those things, focusing on how things should be based on expectation that is you beat yourself up because you should not have made so many mistakes during a presentation for example okay so let's talk about the, sh- the should haves.
0: yeah so should statements are basically you know that's again based on the expectations we have or for ourselves so these are the unrealistic expectations or the trying the need to meet unreasonable expectations others have of us so we tell ourselves, okay, I should be doing this or I should be acting this way. Really, it comes down to testing or challenging what the expectation is and understanding that, hey, I'm a human being and I don't, I can't do everything all at once. I'm not a perfect person. So me making one mistake during a presentation, I should not be beating myself over it and saying, oh, I should have not made that mistake. My whole presentation was a disaster because of it. This is just coming from these expectations that we create of of ourselves and or allow other people to have, you know, it can be both ways. Mm -hmm. But whenever we catch ourselves saying, oh, man, I should have done this or I should have been able to do that, really challenge that thought. Like, is this is this reasonable or Mm -hmm. is this just something where I'm a human being who made a small mistake or error? Does this really define who I am?
1: Mm, that's very, very good. And I think that's something that everyone does too often. It's too easy to do that. We need to be very careful of that. So it's a really good one to call ourselves out on. I like that. Emotional reasoning. And you define it, you assuming that your negative emotions reflect the truth, that you're feeling angry. So this proves that you're, that you've been treated unfairly. That's the example you gave. So emotional reasoning.
0: Yeah, so emotional reasoning is something that comes up a lot in arguments, too, that we've talked about in the last few minutes here. So this is where if we're feeling a certain emotion, we tend to really take that and think of it as a fact. So, you know, we hear a lot about feelings are not facts. And this is exactly where it's important to understand that, because what we feel does not actually mean that that feeling holds truth. So if we are feeling angry, saying, I must have been treated unfairly, that's why I'm feeling angry, is an assumption. Mm. That person might not have done something to treat us unfairly. It might have been coming up from our own insecurities, our own triggers. So it's really important to understand why we're feeling angry. And the same thing is feeling anxious. When a big presentation is coming up or something Mm. is happening, Mm. a big project is launching and we start to feel anxious. Thinking of it as I'm not meant to do this or I'm not cut out for this because of that anxiety can really change that perspective of how we approach the situation. That confidence just depletes because we really identify with our feeling of anxiety. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to understand that emotional reasoning. Is a cognitive distortion and our feelings are not always facts. So, as we're feeling that, like the anxiety before the presentation or
1: the conversation with someone and there's an emotion wells up, is not to just automatically assume that this is like a sign that I shouldn't be doing this or something, but rather to actually delve in and question what is this? Is it valid in the situation? Is it appropriate? What am I actually thinking? Why do I feel this? And it's that process of questioning that's going to allow you to unpack that and find the truth in there before you just dive in and stop doing it. So it's once again to be very proactive and not reactive. And just that's, that's, yeah, that's such a good one. Such an important one. We all do that. And this is another one that also does, it happens to everyone, magnification or catastrophizing. And then you say, imagining an unfavorable outcome to a situation and believing this outcome will most likely occur. A example, you get a, we need to talk text message. And right away, you imagine the worst possible scenario or news.
0: So that's a, that's a common way to really understand what's happening. This can be even an email from HR, saying, hey, can you come in and you just start thinking about, oh, my God, this is I've done something at work or this is going to be, you know, I'm going to get fired. Just coming up with a worst case scenario when it could have just been something completely the opposite where they're just acknowledging, you know, your efforts or whatever it is. If we don't know exactly what's going on. And we come up with a worst case scenario. We're basically self sabotaging. We're putting all this stress and anxiety in us when we really don't know what is happening. Mm-hmm. And until we know that, there's no point for us to really sit in the in that feeling of worry or stress for that time. You know, so magnifying something or catastrophizing a situation can really lead us to be in this to have a stress response for a very long time mm-hmm. until. The situation is resolved. So it's better to just really assess the pros and cons and challenge that thought like is okay. Yeah, I know the worst case scenario, but what is the alternative thought here? What is the best case scenario? Mm -hmm. And really ease that tension. So we have that gray area rather than just leaning towards that worst case scenario.
1: Absolutely, that's so good, and and it also people can overgeneralize when something they do something in their life, and then they say, oh, "I'll always do this." You know, there's that same sort of scenario as well. You make one mistake, it's always or well, there's something happens, this always happens to me. So it makes it so much bigger, doesn't it? The overgeneralization you're making it so much bigger than what it actually is, and you get this literal Broadway show going in your head from start to finish with all the acts. And ninety five percent of the time, or ninety nine percent of the time, the the research shows that those things are not going to come. That worry that you have is not going to actually play out anyway
0: yeah exactly it's 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 just how we are trained to think but it's important to be consciously aware of it and exactly
1: then the next one you talk about is fortune telling and that's i found fascinating the way you explain that jumping to conclusions by predicting that things will turn out badly so predicting so for example you're going through depression and you tell yourself i'll never get better Mm
0: -hmm. so fortune telling is a magical power that we don't have (laughs) so so really thinking about it in a way where just predicting the future and it's usually if we're in a place of where we're feeling anxious or worried or just not thinking positively about a situation the fortune telling is going to be negative so it's, again, that assumption of what's going to happen in the future. It can be personal. So when we're dealing with depression, telling ourselves that we will never get through it, even when people tell us that, hey, you know, they're supporting us and you will move on. This is temporary. If we are fortune telling and we're telling ourselves this, we will act the way we believe. about. Yeah, this. you like, do. You, literally, you create your next reality. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's why it's so important to whatever we are putting out. You know, even just the beliefs we are telling ourselves, the things we're telling ourselves, they need to be weighed out in a rational way rather than fortune telling the worst case scenario. Like, I'll never be able to do this or I'll never move past this obstacle. It's just a way for us to minimize who we are and what our abilities are. So not the greatest thing to do. No, not at all.
1: It's almost like, as you're saying it, I'm. I, you know, I always use this analogy of you can look at life like this. You know, there's the toxic fortune telling versus looking at life through this, which is your, you know, your healthy. Looking at it from a healthy perspective, which is very creative. This is very creative, and this is very destructive. And it's also interesting because there's a lot of research showing. And I also found this in my research that as soon as you have this perspective, immediately, not not in a few minutes or a few hours or a few days, but immediately, you change the activation of your your gene code. So you write down to the DNA level, you get an instant effect. So you'll increase the activation or decrease. So you switch on genes and switch off genes. So there's a shift in the activation, and sometimes you can you can shift the genes in such a way that they become vulnerable. And when they're vulnerable, that's when mutations happen, and and then that throws your body into a state of inflammation and vulnerability and all kinds of things. So there's an immediate effect in the body for any of these, all these cognitive distortions. We feel that immediately. So that's why it's just so important to talk about them. Well, gosh, there's so much more that I wanted to talk to you about but let's just let's definitely have you back again for another conversation where can people find out more about you
0: so yeah so i the main page is the instagram page so the brain coach as you mentioned i am trying to expand so i have a website now noelmostafa.com and you can sign up for my newsletter there and i'm gonna in one week's time i'm gonna be launching a journal so it's just a free tool for people to be able to you know really look at their life every day and organize it in a way that they're reacting to their environment the best way they can so it's just something I, I create all these journal prompts and people are like can you just create it lovely that's wonderful I can. yeah so I'm going to be doing that so if you want that journal as well it's just free so you can just oh that's
1: like, wonderful that's, yeah, that's fantastic. That's wonderful. While we're on that note, I'm sure the journey will help that a lot. You, you talk a little bit, I want to ask you one more question if that's okay. You talk about mind reading and how can we avoid this? So let's just quickly talk about that for, well, as, as our final wrap
0: up question. So the mind reading, cognitive distortion and yeah. how we can avoid it. So basically mind reading is, let's give an example where, for example, we are walking on a sidewalk and yeah. we see a couple of people walking the other way and they're laughing. And they make eye contact and you right away think they're making fun of me. There's something wrong with me. I might have, you know, maybe there's some, something on my face, like whatever it yeah. is. We think of it in a way where it's about us or they're ah, thinking in mm-hmm, a way good. about us, which is usually not the case. But because of that spotlight effect that we have where we think that a lot of people are focusing on us rather than. You
1: know, They probably haven't even seen you. The chances are they haven't even seen you. (laughs) If they did, you just like,
0: you know. (laughs) Exactly, yes. Maybe sometimes they're not wearing their glasses and they just ignore you and you just think, oh my God, like I know this person. Why did they say hi? They must have not liked me. So this is all mind reading. When we think someone is doing something or thinking a certain way about us because of these small nonverbal cues, and it can show up in relationships too where someone just is having a bad day and you go to your partner and they're not talking a lot, they're just giving one word answers and you just think, oh my God, I did something to upset them.
1: And you say something Now you text them and say, what did, did I do something wrong? Meanwhile, they just want to have a, they're just in their own space for that day. So,
0: Yeah. And and, yeah. and I think it's really important to communicate here. Mm. You know, if, if something is going on, if you think someone's thinking a certain way about you, just ask to say, hey, I'm noticing this. Is this? Is this, I think it might be just my perception of things, but I really want to just talk about it here if that relationship is valuable. But there's also times where you can just challenge that thought. How likely is it that this thought is true that they're actually thinking this way about me? And how likely is it that, you know, they were just doing something else and they were just in their own little world? It's once again, that authenticity, just being
1: real and very vulnerable. You you actually had uh, these three more. I'm actually just going to quickly, quickly We overgeneralization, we pretty much discussed that. Mental filtering. I think that's worth quickly talking about. Mental filtering and disqualifying the positive. Let's quickly talk about those two. So let's talk about mental mental filtering first. Okay, so the example, this is still in the cognitive distortions for those of you that are looking at the post. It's the second little page I didn't, I didn't ask. So I flipped over to the next page. Focusing on the negative aspects of a situation while disqualifying the positives. You dwell on a single negative, negative comment from your boss and ignore all the other positive comments so the focus on like if you have 20 30 comments on your instagram and two are bad you focus on the two instead of focusing on the others
0: yeah so this is mental filtering where sometimes there's so many cognitive distortions sometimes it's just hard to i know there's so many yeah (laughs) but I, i think one thing is i whoever's listening i don't want you to feel overwhelmed because of all these cognitive distortions, there's usually a few that we tend to do a lot more. So it's good to focus on that first and work through those. Look at all
1: of them, listen to the descriptions, look at all of them, find out the ones that are most applicable to you, write them down and then work on those.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I think that's how we would be able to work through these things more consciously. But so mental filtering is where we take the most, usually it's the most negative aspect of a situation and Disqualify everything else that is positive. So again, the Instagram comment thing is very relevant, (laughs) relative for me too. It's you know it's relevant here because sometimes I create a post and everyone is you know this is so helpful, thank you so much. It's impactful, but then there's that one person who's like, hey, I don't fully agree with this, and this this is the reasons, and I have to really think about it and say, okay, you know what, this is an opinion of that person and it's coming from their own experiences and so on. So I have to just really take that in and not make that into my whole post is bad or my entire you know, work is not valid. Again, this can happen in so many situations, but really understand that sticking, focusing on that one negative thing is really creating this belief in you that you are not good enough or you are not worthy of you know, the good things that are happening to you. So it's just important to filter things in a way that is not biased towards that negative component of your life.
1: Mm, it's so good it's so important to do that because we can get so stuck in that because they often talk about you know people throw around the concept of negativity bias that the brain has a negativity bias the brain doesn't have a negativity bias that the brain is actually structurally neuroscientifically we see that it is actually wired for the it's literally the way the chemicals flow and the structures and stuff it's for actually for healthy emotions healthy thoughts healthy memories etc so or thoughts which contain emotions and memories so i it's a, i always explain it that we have a positivity bias so when something is negative it's so abnormal. That's why it grabs our attention. And when you shift your perspective like that, it helps with the mental filtering. That's what I've always found. Okay, so let's just quickly finish off with the last one, disqualifying the positive. And you talk about acknowledging the positive, but rejecting it instead of accepting it like you land a competitive job, but you attribute it to a lack rather than your competence.
0: So this is something that can really show up when you have low self-worth. You know, this is something that can, when even just the simplest thing where someone is giving you a compliment. And you have a hard time taking that compliment because you think that you don't deserve it. It's you disqualifying all the positives about you because you're holding this certain belief about yourself that you might not be good enough or you're not competent enough. Just something that is holding you back and you are looking through that lens where you're disqualifying all these positive aspects about you and just taking that one negative comment again, it, it happens so often mm-hmm. where we discredit ourselves for a lot of things and then end up doing this kind of thinking this negative. way, where we're disqualifying all the positives about us.
1: Meanwhile, if that person has said something positive, even if you don't agree with it, it's worth evaluating to see maybe you should agree with it because why, there's something you've done or said that's justified in their mind, the person giving you that compliment or whatever it may be with a job promotion or whatever it may be so it's kind of to stand back and observe that so Noel, thank you so much this has been such a great conversation and so helpful and love to have you back again to discuss more of these really important things in this very practical way so thank you so much for your input
0: thank you so much for having me it was a pleasure talking to you thank you
1: i hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful